0: Superbrain is a labour of love. Alas, no podcast can survive on love alone. We don't have a sponsor, so we need your support for Superbrain to stay alive and kicking. You can make a one-off donation by following the Support This Show link in the show or episode description.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
0: Hello and welcome to Superbrain, the podcast for everyone with a brain. My name is Sabina Brennan and thank you so much for joining me for part two of my chat with Masters of Mindfulness and Wisdom teacher, Dermot Whelan. Dermot is, of course, also a broadcaster and a comedian. And in this episode, we chat about mindfulness, the mind, people's preference for electric shocks over sitting with their own thoughts, and Dermot's new show, Mindful. As in two words followed by a question mark. Mindful. You had planned um, this fantastic uh, show that was to be sort of a combination of your meditation and your comedy. And it sold out almost immediately. And then you, I think you put up other dates and then COVID-19 came and everything was cancelled.
2: Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) I know I think you really just have to be okay with, you know, accepting that this is where we are at the moment and and not letting that frustration build up. Um, But, you know, I'm genuinely still very excited about it. It certainly hasn't been done in Ireland before. And I, I remember the day when I went to the venue to describe to the guy who runs the venue that, okay, this is the kind of show I want to put on. And he was looking at me going, what? So it's half comedy half meditation and (laughs) he couldn't get his head around it but um so it's kind of increased my self-doubt a little bit but as soon as it went on sale yeah it sold out in a couple of days amazing yeah it was so the show was called mindful um as in mindful question mark is your mind full? and it kind of ties into our idea of brain fog because that's how it used to feel for me that my mind was literally full to capacity and I, I hadn't any storage left so the show is um, you know my my tagline on my website is is serious transformation without being serious and it ties back into you know using humor and using all my years as a stand up comic and as a you know comedian on radio to convey really important messages to people that can really help them you know particularly to men because we're slower We're slower to engage with things like meditation or or things that may help us in that area. So humor for me is definitely the kindling that lights the fire to new concepts and new ideas and perhaps concepts and ideas that many people can find embarrassing or weird or strange at the start. You know, so certainly if I can use my skills as a comedian and a communicator to give people actual tools and practices that they can use, then that means a lot to me, you know, and that's why I'm so excited about the show. But it will happen, you know, it'll... It'll happen. It's not as if, you know, stress will be gone by the time the shows roll around. I oh, absolutely. Think, you, know. you,
0: you, you, have them, you have them rescheduled to September and I can share that information on the notes to this particular podcast. But I do want to go, I think you really are onto a winner, you know, and I mean this from a scientific perspective, you know, laughter actually lowers cortisol levels in your brain. So it is a natural stress buster. So, um, you know, combining laughter with meditation. Um, And, you know, I do think lots of people, you know, as you say, you use that word woo-woo, you know, you know, meditation um, for some people is woo-woo, or actually what I'm thinking is you've combined, you know, the fluffy with the funny. (laughs) (laughs) what might be what some people would think. But, um, you know, there is considerable um, science behind uh, the benefits of meditation.
2: Yeah, particularly in the last 10 years, there's some really strong science that's emerging now, as I'm sure you know yourself. And, you know, one of the studies that I really like was the one that came out of the University of Massachusetts and, and University General Hospital in 2012. And that was a study where they got 16 people who had never meditated before. Uh, They got them to meditate for a half an hour a day for 56 days, so eight weeks, less than two months. And, you know, what they found at the end of that study was that the actual physical structure of the meditator's brains had changed, that their amygdala, which we associate with, you know, fearful or anxious thinking, had actually shrunk in size and the parts of the brain that responsible for, you know, forming memories and senses of self awareness and logical thinking, uh, you know, had strengthened and and grown. So the fact that our brains can actually change in shape with, you know, that less than two months of meditating, even if we've done it, never done it before, that was massive for me that, you know, this doesn't have to be housed in the ancient Eastern traditions, this is modern science that's happening now and that has real tangible benefits, you know, within days or weeks of beginning.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, it's probably that it is, uh, you know, the flip side of the chronic stress response. So if you become chronically stressed, you know, what happens is neurogenesis and neuroplasticity, so neurogenesis being the growth of new neurons and neuroplasticity being the growth of new connections between them, that actually, when you're chronically stressed, gets shut down in the hippocampus, the part of the brain responsible for learning and memory, Mm. and it also gets shut down in your frontal lobes, which are really your thinking, rational, logical part of your brain. And it gets ramped up in your amygdala. So if you're chronically stressed, um, you'll get more neurons and more connections in your fear centers. And you will get less. In fact, your frontal lobes and your hippocampus will shrink. So the exact opposite of what you're talking about. And that's what happens with chronic stress. And that's why it feeds into itself then, because... Usually with a stress response, initially when it's an acute response, the information comes in by two routes, a fast route and um, a slow route. And the fast route um, the information, the threat, the information about the stressor, um, comes in and goes almost directly to your amygdala, your fear center, and that's really good. We need that. You need to be able to jump out of the way of a car instantly, oh. or you need to be able, you know, to respond to, um, you know, someone who's going to hit you or attack you, or you know, to run away. You need that. You need to be able to do that without thinking, just instantaneously. Um, And then thankfully, and for very good reason, the same information is sent to your thinking brain so that you can have a rational look at the overall situation and go, "Mm, you know what, I actually really don't need to be this stressed about this particular issue. There's no real threat to me. Or, you know, the issue has passed and we need to sort of calm down and dampen down. So you can see then where stress becomes chronic if your frontal lobes that do that thinking rational bit are getting smaller and smaller and your part of your brain where you can learn new things is getting smaller, but your fear centers are getting bigger. What happens is you just live in this heightened state of fear and stress. Um, And it is a point where you actually actively have to do something about it and try and engage your frontal lobes. Or as as you've said there, that meditation seems to be able to help dampen down the stress response because Ordinarily, if your stress response is working properly, there's a negative feedback loop wherein it eventually tells itself to shut down, you know, stop the release of adrenaline and cortisol. But that seems to get screwed up if we become chronically stressed. And so the cortisol, et cetera, just keeps pumping. And I suspect a lot of people, you know, during this COVID pandemic are living in that chronic state of stress. And so now more than ever, they need means and mechanisms to get that back under control. Mm. And I mean, I think it's important when you look at studies about these things that they're, they're done somehow as controlled trials, you know? Um, so that means, you know, that it helps if there's a comparison group um, because who's to say that that wouldn't have happened over, you know, we'll say in that case, you know, over that period of time anyway, but there's yeah. a fabulous study from um, UCLA where they took two groups. Uh, one group had meditated for years um, and, and, another group had never meditated and they were looking they're interested in you know the brain changing over time with age now usually with age we see a loss of gray matter you know in your brain that's kind of the brain cells and 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 it's normal in these two groups they looked at the brains compared the two groups um and yes both groups had lost gray matter with age but the group that meditated had lost much less gray matter so i think that's quite interesting too you know that there's longer term benefits in terms of um helping people. Um, you know, because we want as many brain cells as possible, but we do want it somewhat selective in certain areas of the brain. Tell me and the listeners or talk me through your sixteen minute meditation. A sixteen second. Sixteen second. That's like <laughs> my book. I don't know, many times I told people it was 100 years to a younger brain.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They're like, I'm not sure I can give that level of commitment, Sabina. so 16 seconds yeah 16 seconds is a wonderful meditation it was taught to me by my teacher uh, david g who is the chap i trained with in america and he's one of the leading corporate stress management experts over there and um he has a wonderful way of uh, i suppose of teaching meditation in that he can adapt it and it's certainly something that i want to do and i'm using comedy to do is adapt it to whoever he's dealing with you know and uh i know that when he was teaching the military his meditation techniques were called tactical breathing which is some yeah. wonderful language that they could relate to you know um but certainly 16 seconds is a is exactly that it's a meditation that takes 16 seconds and it was taught to me by david g and uh it, it literally is that sometimes it's known as square breathing And the idea is that you breathe in for four to a count of four. You hold it for a count of four. Then you let it out to a count of four. And then you hold that breath out to a count of four. And that's your 16 seconds. But it's a wonderful way in for a lot of people because it doesn't require a lot of commitment. It seems fairly simple and straightforward. And you can have real tangible results in that short space of a time. You know, um, like I said, the, the chap who found himself not singing in the shower anymore. It was the 16 second meditation that he had used just every morning. That's, that's all he did was 16 seconds. And he felt that he got a a lot of relief from it. And I like it. It's, it's, it's portable. You know, I, I would use the 16 second meditation if I was in traffic, you know, if I feel that I'm tense for some reason, if you have, you know, an encounter or a, or a, a meeting or a confrontation, you know, could be difficult or a phone call that you're about to make 16 seconds is a wonderful little technique that will just lower all those stress hormones and calm your nervous system enough that you can think a bit clearer and, um, you know, make better decisions in the moment.
0: And help you help you go from that um, fight or flight to the counter side of that really, which is rest and digest, you know, where it's, mm. you know, taking, taking the system down. It, it reminds me, I mean, my mother, I had probably a bit of a fiery temper when I was little, um, when I was a kid. Uh, I was very opinionated I think is what it was and you weren't really allowed to be that. (laughs) I answered back, basically, and you know how times have changed, you know, you weren't allowed to have an opinion of your own. Um, But my mother used to tell me to count to 10, and I suppose there's some sort of similarity. She never told me to breathe, though, (laughs) 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 breathing is the key as opposed to the counting. The counting only just was, I have to wait 10 seconds before I
2: can (laughs) breathe. Exactly. Yeah. You're missing the important component there.
0: (laughs) which is the breathing and, Mm. and which I think is, 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 it is hugely, um, it is hugely useful and it's sort of like a form of centering. And I, I I think, I mean, I'm, I, I would say, and I have said it in my talks, you know, when I talk about things that people can do, you know, to boost their brain health and bearing in mind that, you know, depression, anxiety, stress are not particularly, well, they're bad. They're really not good for your brain, to be honest. Um, So managing them is, is critical. And, I do talk about meditation and um, it's not something that I personally do. I, I know friends who, you know, they meditate first thing in the morning for 30 minutes or whatever. I, I'm not a very patient person, but actually for me, morning time is my most creative time. So I like to work sort of you know, straight away. And, you know, there's neuroscience behind that, that that's a good time to work too, because, you know, your brain has just, when you wake up first is not fully necessarily fully out of REM sleep. And that can be the most creative part of your sleep. So the best ideas and solutions can come at that point. So I, I try to harness that at that point, but I can certainly use that 16 second, um, meditation. Um, and I would do anyway, you know, in, it but not, so formally calling it a 60 second meditation, but I would kind of go, OK, OK, take a breath, you know, hold it, you, you know, whatever. And I do think it it does sort of calm and 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 gets you recentered and refocused. And I just think that people need to do, as you said, if you do it every day, I, I think that's the thing is I think people often just leave things go too far and then it's very challenging. You know, to pull back. I I think it's at the moment that you start to feel those first niggles of stress or anxiety in your gut that that's the moment to take action, rather than kind of to so it's completely interfering. With yeah, your life.
2: It, it can be a sliding scale. I mean, if you know, on one end you could have the niggling feeling that you know maybe everything isn't okay, and perhaps I'm happy, but I'm not happy. You're not in crisis mode. You just know that you're not yourself, and maybe you could do something to to help fix that on the other end of the scale you have me a comedian at the side of the road thinking I'm dying having an anxiety attack you know mm. and where, where we want to you know we don't want to let it get to that point you know I, I didn't know any better I didn't have any tools that I could reach for before all of this you know to to help myself to stop myself getting to that point but what's wonderful now is that people are talking about this stuff a lot more you know your podcasts exist people are are becoming aware of the importance of managing and caring for their brains and and watching their their stress levels and and just monitoring and paying the same bit of care and attention that they would to their cars or their phones um, and putting that towards their bodies you know but definitely regularity is very important with meditation and, and but if you think about it it's the same with the gym. You know, you, you wouldn't go to the gym twice a month and expect to be totally ripped. You know, it's the same with meditation. It's, it's a muscle that you're working and you're exercising every day. And any of the science behind it shows that it is regular practice. Um, and we do have to practice cause not everybody's comfortable with it at the start, no more than yourself. Um, you know, it's with that regular practice that we start to really feel the benefits, you know. Um, but I, I can, uh, you know, when you were saying there that you're you're not the kind of person that doesn't suit you, uh, maybe the idea of, of sitting still with yourself and, and breathing isn't something that you're drawn to. Um, there was an amazing study uh, that came out of the University of Virginia, uh, which proved that most people find the idea of sitting with themselves absolutely terrifying they They got a few hundred people in the experiment, and they put them all different ages and demographics and they They got them to sit in a room by themselves for fifteen minutes. That was the challenge and they were They had to hand in their phones and they didn 't have any other distractions in the room. It was very sparsely furnished and They put a button uh, on the desk in front of them that was the only other thing of consequence in the room was this button and they had the option of pressing the button if they wanted what would happen if they did, they would receive an electric shock. Right. So all they had to do was sit in the room and they did not have to press this button. And most of them before the study said that they would actually pay money to avoid being electrocuted. So uh, when they were told to sit in the room for 15 minutes, 67% of men chose to electrocute themselves (laughs) multiple times rather than be left alone with their own thoughts. (laughs) <laughs> which is right. incredible. It um, doesn't say oh, yeah. much for us men. Uh, no, no. No, 25% of women electrocuted themselves in the same right. al- allocated time. But it just sh- it shows you the level of, uh, well, incidentally, in that study, one man electrocuted himself 197 times in 15 minutes, <laughs> which... Uh, which I think is very worrying and he should possibly be the focus <laughs> of another study. Um, yes, yeah. yes. But it just shows you that our natural state at the moment is for distraction, you know. Yeah.
0: And and to be honest, whilst I say that, and, and and I do say this to people, because I think sometimes the word meditation itself almost frightens people. So I'm actually quite happy to um, sit with myself and, and um, you know, In some regard, I I, I mean, I am a doer, you know, I I, I like to do, but I I think I'm very fortunate in that I have found things to do where I can lose myself, you know, which I think is a joy and a real pleasure to have. Do you know what I mean? Where. totally in the flow. And I look up and I can go, oh my God, three hours have gone by and I forgot to eat. Like that's to me in a way is a joy, you know, to have that. Um, But I think what I try to explain to people as well is, you know, that just being present minded, being present in the moment is a form of meditation. So focusing on what you're doing while you're doing it is in a sense, a form of meditation. I mean, for me, when I go to the gym, if I lift weights, that's a sort of form of meditation for me because I cannot focus on anything else. Otherwise, I will hurt myself. And I also have to focus on my breathing. And I also have to set every part of my body, you know, if I'm going to put that bar across the back of my neck with weights on it, you know, I've got to make sure that I am setting my body and that I'm breathing in and out as I lift it. So to me, I mean, would you agree that that, that is a form of meditation?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, any form of mindfulness, any, any activity where we are engrossed. And as you say, we, we, you know, one of the key elements is not noticing the passage of time. You know, that's mm. a lot of the time that can be referred to as flow state or, or being in the zone. You know, when we hear about athletes being in that state where they become unaware of time or it seems to speed up or slow down. So I I would absolutely for anyone who isn't comfortable with the word or the idea of meditation, I would always recommend um, reconnecting with any aspect of themselves that where they used to feel that. Because, I mean, as kids, we all did it, you know, and if, if anyone listening has kids of their own right now, they'll be familiar that they often you know, naturally remove themselves from company and find a place where they're by themselves. Um, they're on their own. They're not, they're not necessarily lonely. And they will engage in something like coloring or playing or whatever it is, uh, where they're completely engrossed, completely present, and they, they would stay there for hours. So time does seem to disappear for them. So I think that's our natural state that we become disconnected with and again this can be part of the disconnect from ourselves that we can experience in later life because bit by bit with all the demands that's being put on us we can find that those things we used to do um that where we felt that you know we lost track of time those things can fall away because we just get too busy so i would always encourage people to perhaps maybe they played an instrument you know my co-host dave on my radio show um his form of meditation is playing the guitar he'll play away and, and he's absolutely in it. And that for him, when he finishes it, he feels like he's, you know, his brain has had a refreshing shower, you know, for some people, yeah. it it could be doing jigsaws, you know, it could be simply walking mindfully in the forest. It could be, you know, it, being out in nature, something that a lot of us possibly, you know, we all did more of when we were kids. So, um, absolutely being mindful, doing anything where you're, in it. And that doesn't sadly include watching television nope. um, because it's not the same. You know, we can be experiencing high levels of stress and, you know, excitement while watching television that isn't necessarily helpful to us. So just binging on a on a box set isn't being mindful, sorry.
0: No, and there's, there's actually, um, there is actually a study done where, you know, I mean, a lot, an awful lot of us say, you know, oh, are you going to, oh, I am just going to zone out and watch you know, Netflix or TV or whatever box, box set, you know, I just, you know, I've had a tough week. I really just want to relax. And the research shows actually that that if you watch up to, you know, just as much as two hours of TV, you know, your anxiety levels increase rather than decrease because pretty much if you think about the content of most shows, even if you're watching romantic comedy as opposed to violence or, or you know, something that you might associate with stress, mm. In order for there to be a story arc, something terrible has to happen. You know, yeah. <laughs> in order yeah. for it to matter for the two of them who loved each other to get together, something awful has to have happened in in between. So you are going on this um, this stressful journey with people. But um, I'm glad that you said that. And, and I think that's an important message to get to people. And I always say that about, you know, if do people feel as as you were talking earlier, that they've lost themselves or lost touch with themselves. I, I think life, the way we've set it up, I was nearly going to say it's, it you know, it's almost beaten out of us as kids, but it, it, not quite literally. But, um, you know, it's all about getting us to conform I think it's changed a little in schools, but there's still a certain element of it being crowd control. Mm. You know, everybody has to do the same thing at the same time and behave so that we can, you know, do this teaching bit, but where this teaching bit only involves you learning things um, hourly, you know, or just using a couple of your senses. Whereas, and, and, and I think we, as we grow up, we forget that we have so many more senses and we don't integrate them or pay attention to them. So, I think walking etc can become very mindful if you actually say well I'm going to walk and um engage my senses you know notice what I'm smelling have really have a look around you as uh, as you walk and those kind of things they can be really really restorative
2: Yeah I mean and it you know it ties into the tips that you give in your book on how to improve chronic stress you know there be present you know and that mm-hmm. that actively being present I mean I I walked by a dad playing with his kid yesterday around the corner from me and he was on the phone and playing rugby with his little fella at the same time and I just I just felt I got a pang of of sympathy for him because you know he was missing out there on a on a precious moment of being present not only with himself but you know with his kid and with the act of playing you know you know the another one of your your tips is be happy And it's those reconnecting with those things that would have made us happy. Like certainly a kick around for me with the lads when I was younger was it was a form of being present and a form of being joyful and connected and all these things. So uh, any opportunity where we can not, be distracted, not choose to electrocute ourselves, you know, where we can simply <laughs> be in in the process or in the thing that we're doing and enjoying it. And, and if it is something that you used to do and enjoy, like playing an instrument or singing or, you know, singing in the shower, as we mentioned, or, or walking or just being out in nature, then reconnecting with that will help us greatly with stress. And And as you say, that can be our meditation. We don't necessarily have to sit down Um, you know, and and focus on our breath or get into the lotus position. But, you know, know, there's a lot of of misconceptions or, or preconceptions, I suppose, about meditation. And certainly, in my work, I like to bust all those myths. And I like to show people that, you know, meditation does not have to be something you do you know, with your legs folded in the shape of a pretzel, you know, because for a lot of us, that's just painful, you know. And if, if, we're, if we're sitting there, like there's a rod up our backside, we're you're not very likely to come back to that thing the next day and try it again if, if you're not comfortable, if you're not warm, you know. So. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget?
0: Uh, during lockdown um, or social distancing, or whatever the correct term is, it for it, you've done um, some little one and two minute uh, videos on your. They're certainly on your Instagram. I don't know if you're on. They're on your other social media, but um, you do talk. And I, I think one thing that jumped out at me was you can sort of meditate on anything. You can put a piece of chocolate in your mouth. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: You now that tastes. And I said, well, now that's a piece of meditation I'd like.
2: Yeah, exactly. Well, the chocolate meditation, not surprisingly, is one of the most popular ones. Um, you know, but it goes back again to to what we were saying and that automatic behavior, automatic thinking that we find ourselves just caught up in. You know, how many times have you been sitting down watching television or watching a movie at the cinema, and you stick your hand into the bag of minstrels and realize, yeah. oh God. I've just eaten most of the pack. Yeah. yeah. And you kind of feel ashamed and confused as to how you just managed to do that. But
0: you know, you didn't enjoy them. So actually sort of, you know, oh, I can, I really actually can almost experience that, you know, if you actually just let it square chocolate melt in your mouth till the very end and take every piece of flavor out of it. And that's actually so much more enjoyable than sitting and just chomping away on an entire um bar of chocolate with without thinking um about it. It's very, very interesting. There's there's one thing I'm interested in, right? And mm. and it's kind of funny. Uh, you know, the word mind and mindfulness and all those, they kind of they come with a history, you know, that we used to call or, or people still refer to this thing called the mind. I very specifically focus on the brain. And our behaviour and our the processes that our brain carries out. I, I rarely use the word mind, other than when I'm saying something like present mindedness, or you know, mm. um, it's 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 so integrated in our language. My feeling is, and, and and I think you probably agree, except that you sort of have to use the word mind. But um, for me. In a way, I sort of see the mind as an unnecessary middleman that if actually we just talked about the brain, you know, our thinking um, and our behaviors, that it's almost easier to actually then be using that term mindful or meditate on life. I just think when we speak of the mind, we speak of it as if it is a thing, whereas actually really it's an abstract um, concept. To explain our behaviors, like thinking and feeling, and um, I'm just interested to know your thoughts on that. I was—is
2: that something you immediately go, "Oh no, no, no!" I have to hold on to the the notion of the mind. Um, in a way, I would like to because I think uh, sometimes we, if we're too brain focused all the time, I, I think we may miss out on some elements of of uh, um uh, that word holistic like to to get the holistic sense of ourselves like as in to have that whole sense of ourselves and you know, I suppose the way you possibly know more about this than me, but there's, you know, the, the more as the science emerges that the, where our consciousness lies, it, it, it opens up that whole barrage of questions as to where is our consciousness? It, is it in our brains or is it in our cells? Or there's a very interesting book actually by a guy called Pierce who wrote a book called The Heart's Code and he was a heart transplant surgeon. And a thing that he noticed with a lot of his patients is that after a heart transplant, the the recipient of the heart began to experience memories of the donor, and it happened in, in many instances. So it, it throws up a whole load of questions as to where where does memory lie? Where does our consciousness lie? And you may think that's <laughs> complete rubbish, and um, but. I think if we focus purely on the physical aspects of the brain, um, we may be missing out on developing a more rounded sense of ourselves. And, and I know that's particularly vague um, and may not be the answer you're looking for.
0: No, no, no. I'm not looking for. I'm, I'm just curious to know your thoughts on it. You know, I, I, you know, it's one of those things that that kind of remains a question. I, I, I think it, for me, it's actually just, uh, in a sense, semantics. Uh, But I I do think there's a danger in thinking of the mind as a thing, as opposed to, uh, you know, a process. And so that's where I would see Mm -hmm. the link between consciousness and the sense of self that actually, you know, the brain is the organ, but the processes that the brain carries out are the things that give us a sense of consciousness, that experience of consciousness, or that experience of ourself. And, you know, that they are sort of Experiences And like that, I wouldn't see, you know, memory as being stored in a particular area of the brain. I would see it as being amongst all those connections in your brain, a bit like you were talking there about the dog running down that one pathway. You know, Uh that basically our brain is this living, vibrant um, organ. And and it's complex for us to to get our heads around it, like to kind of coin a phrase, you know, because it is so complex. But that all of those connections and, and in those brain cells, they are us that's who we are. It contains not only our life experiences and the memories that we have, but it also contains our genetic code. And it also contains the evolution of us as a species, you know, how we function. And I I just find that actually quite exciting. I don't find it less exciting than the concept of of the mind. Do you know what I mean? I find it just amazing and and mesmerizing and empowering. But it is just looking at things from different perspectives. That's, that's all it is.
2: Yeah. But, I mean, it's also, you know, the importance of the mind-body relationship, you know, and, and it's, I don't know if you can quite say brain-body because brain is part of your body. Um, but I think a lot of the time when we, we have that disconnect between you know our physical self and our thinking that's when stuff starts to break down and it is you know it's it's emerging so much now in medicine and science that it's a two-way street you know what we think affects our physical body and and what we put into our body and how we treat it can affect the way we think so the the more that dynamic can be explored you know the better for everyone I think and I think that's where medicine is going to end up going.
0: But I would see that as that the brain is a dynamic organ, and I would see your thinking as part of the brain because thinking when you're when you're thinking, it's electrical and chemical signals that are being fired, you know, around your brain, and absolutely, totally in the, you know, I'm I'm totally there that everything is interconnected and everything is linked, and and I think that's empowering too. You know, your brain shapes your behavior, but you also shape your brain through the behavior that you engage in, and mm. you can, and that's why as well, you know we can and we have the power to change those old habits or adopt new habits like like meditation. And and I also think as well that people and that's why I call this podcast Super Brain, is that I just think that there's so much untapped potential. You know, that people every single individual has an amazing brain, but because they're possibly living on autopilot or not pushing themselves or not challenging themselves or just not being, you know, self-aware that they're actually not using this gift that they have. And that, you know, if they did sort of Harness it; they they could get closer to those senses of fulfillment and and happiness, and and also you know be more innovative and and creative. And you know, people often say things like that person is a creative type, or that person is this, but actually, it's probably just they've learned how to harness that part of their brain. And 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 from that, I actually do want to ask you because I am quite jealous of your way with words.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: You know I have noticed in 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 things that you've read and and you know the language used on your website is is fabulous, you know even actually, as you just said, the title of your show is mindful question mark um I think you have another line you know mind your head now um upgrade your happiness um they're fabulous ways with words um that are important, I make little animations um, to get sometimes complex scientific concept across. And there's two things that I think are key to making those work well, actually, there's three things. They always have to be entertaining, have humor in them somewhere. And I often talk, I mean, these animations sometimes are about really, really, you know, serious, (laughs) depressing stuff, things like dementia or brain injury in infant, you know, uh, neonatal brain injury, those things. But I will always include humor and entertainment in them. You're not laughing at something, but you're just making it, uh, you know, something that's not as fearful, uh, you know, or not as daunting to watch. But the The two other things that I think are really important are relevance and empathy. So I think your language that you use makes what you're talking about, which in a way is sort of an abstract concept or something that's novel or new to some people, you make it very relevant to them with your play um, on words. Um, and I think then in a way your personal approach and talking about your own experience and then also your comedic approach, which often is about laughing at ourselves, um, is a way that you induce that empathy, that connection um, with people. I, 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 I I think that what you've decided to do, um, the connecting, the humor and and the meditation um, is absolutely genius. Um, I think it's great. I suspect... And, and this is terrible of me to be deciding what's going on in your life, you know, or, 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 or
2: evaluating it. Please decide for me.
0: <laughs> no, and I mean, I'm not. I'm a psychologist, but that's that's not what I do. This is just me to being at the human being, you know. As you said, our life is just stories we've told ourselves. That's all it is. We just constantly tell ourselves stories stories about the world and about life. We're constantly trying to make sense of it. So sort of my story about, you know, where you've come and and the journey that you've come on from feeling foggy and stressed and and, and joyless and that loss of self to this fabulously um, exciting journey that you're about to embark on. Is for me that you've you found this great sense of purpose and and meaning and and you now have something that you can very really you can see can make a difference to other people's lives in a meaningful way. That's that's sort of what I'm taking from that. I still think that that comedy and doing a radio show and all that really does that too. Um, but I just think this is sort of you know your next step on the journey, you're sort of upgrading what you were already doing. I mean, am I totally off the wall?
2: <laughs> no, I, I think you're right on the money. I mean, in fact, I have a story that will will definitely show that I agree with you. Um, and it's something that actually meant a huge amount to me. And it's a recent memory for me, as opposed to the the old memories from from being small it's a recent memory that was a pivotal point for me and it only happened last year and i was doing a comedy show uh in the three arena um which is obviously a big venue a holds 15,000 people Great. and i was doing it with dave my co-host and there was a few other comedians on the bill as well um but you know, old me would have absolutely crawled through broken glass for that that opportunity, um, and I enjoyed it. You know, it, it was good, and yeah, uh, I was driving home after, and I, I I rang Dave and I said, yeah, you know, that was really good. Um, I think we, there's a lot of things we can learn there for our live tour, and I almost saw it as like a practice run you know, that was very run of the mill. And a couple of days later, I did a meditation talk in an insurance company. And that was for 30 people. And I came out of that walking on air. Yeah, And it it has never left me. And I constantly go back to that memory when I need to focus on what it is that I need to be doing and want to be doing. Because it showed me that, yes, comedy is great. And it's a tool that I'm, it's something I'm good at. And I do get satisfaction from it. But when I added in the sense of purpose into my comedic training i e helping people to manage yeah. stress and you know reconnect with themselves that 's when I got that sense of fulfillment that that man in the bar, the happy but not happy guy, was looking for you know so and you know it, it does go back to the old scripts that we mentioned, you know the fact that I was having panic attacks doing you know stand up comedy you know may have may you could possibly draw a line back to that time when i was you know 13 or 14 being bullied and and comedy was something that i used in a very stressful situation to as a survival mechanism so and there's possibility that in some part of my brain when i stood up to do comedy it was triggering all those old things of okay this is an emergency situation you're telling jokes this must mean that you're scared let's ramp up the cortisol you know right. um, now maybe I'm thinking too much into it but uh, maybe because
0: I do think performing you do need that re- release of adrenaline you know yeah, yeah. and we all do and that that's part of the problem and I, I, I spoke to Joanne McNally as well in, in this podcast you know and, and that's something she says she struggles with you know when she comes off stage <laughs> she's so high how can she get down you know so that she can sleep so I, I think that's mm. part of performing, and and it's also something that performers struggle with.
2: Yeah, but uh, no, uh, you know, to answer your original question, yeah. absolutely, you're, you're bang on. For me, adding in that sense of, of of fulfillment, using the comedy as a as a key to open people's minds and, and perceptions to the way they're behaving and the way they're thinking, and and hopefully make them happier and get them singing in the shower again. I mean, that's that's the thing that's given me real buzz. And funnily enough, having gone through all of that. I have a far greater appreciation for the stuff that I do day to day on the radio, you know, than the yeah. the impact that humor can have on people. I, I got a lovely message from a woman who was driving to and from her mother's funeral in lockdown, which obviously was not cool. is not an easy thing anyway, but certainly in lockdown is very difficult. And she said that, you know, the the silliness that I was doing on the radio was was getting her through it and, and managing to keep her spirits up. So it's those things that you're not aware of every day that that humour can do. And that's really important to me more more than ever now.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, I got goosebumps when you were talking actually about the talking to that room of 30 people. I mean, welcome to my world in a way. I, I'm just energised when I speak to people and when I see their faces. For me, it's about making a difference. I think I just got to a certain point in life where you do sort of go, well, what is this all about? I think it's something that we all do. And and for me, um, I it's just important to me to know that I'm somehow making a difference. That somehow what I do is helping somebody else. And I don't feel like, you know, I'm not altruistic. I'm, you know, a part of why I'm doing it is because it makes me feel good, you know? But yeah. that's what's important to me is it actually has to be sort of making a difference for someone. Now, I was asked to do a talk online the other night and, and, and I did it and I have to do another one next week. And whilst I really enjoyed it, and it's very much the talks, I couldn't see anybody. So I couldn't see that I was making that difference. And I think that's probably as well what happens to you with radio. You can't see the difference. Whereas when you're doing these face-to-face talks, you can see people's, you can see pennies dropping or people ask questions. And then I always stay around afterwards in my talks because I'm very conscious that there's only some people feel confident enough to ask a question publicly. And those sometimes who actually don't have that confidence are often very much in need of a moment to ask you a question. So I also always factor in a little bit of time at the end where I'm happy to take one-to-one questions um, from people. And those moments are very special to me too because people will often share some very you know challenging issues and you do what you can, whether it's a case of saying, that's actually really not within my expertise but you know i suggest if you call xyz that could even help you and and it's just um you know opening up and giving people that opportunity to step out of a place that may be very challenging for them and take that first step onto a new journey
2: mm. Yeah.
0: So since we've went on on lockdown, you actually started doing some really, really small little meditations uh, online, including, I think, your sixteen second one. But there's a lovely episode with your son.
2: Yeah, that's Owen. Uh, he's just turned fourteen, and he he's a great little fella. Uh, but he uses meditation, and I kind of talked him into jumping on my little Instagram video to talk about what he gets out of meditation and how he uses it to navigate the stresses of secondary school, uh, which are considerable, you know, for a lot of kids.
0: Yeah, and I think people forget that, you know, um uh, that that stress management um, is really just as important in kids. And in fact, in a way, you know, if you are parents, um, teaching your kids how to manage stress, giving them the tools now um, is probably one of the best things that you can give your kids uh, going forward because how we respond to stress in childhood can um, impact how we respond in later life. And if we've had traumatic experiences and haven't had a healthy response to stress, um, it can skew you know, our stress response in later life and perhaps we become stressed sooner than, than we need to be and can kind of set us up for anxiety and, and depression. So um, these kind of things are things that can be learned in childhood. So giving a kid um, you know, a tool like a meditation, even if it's just 16-second meditation, meditation um, can make a huge difference um, to them as they they grow into being an adult.
2: Yeah. And it's really important to me that they, you know, they normalize taking time out for themselves and normalize that, you know, that doing something like meditation or whatever it is, something, um, you know, and whether that's, whether that's, they do it themselves or whether they see me Taking time out when I come home from work and and saying, "Look, I need fifteen minutes i 'm just going to meditate and then they see that they get a bit better version of me coming out after that so um normalizing that self-maintenance is, is really important to me. And uh, in fact, if if you are thinking, if any of your listeners are thinking of introducing their kids, sometimes it's a nice thing to do together. I have a free guided family meditation on my website and you can just listen to that. And it's nice sometimes to, you know, all bundle into bed, get under the duvet and and have a listen to it. And it, it again will, will normalize that relaxing time that, you know, kids need more than ever these days. Um, and what is, that website, Dermot? It's dermotwieland.com. There's a load of tips on how to get started meditating. And there's a lot of free guided meditations up there. There's ones for anxiety and for sleep and relaxation, the family one, beginners meditation, morning meditation. So there's lots of them. But sometimes the guided meditations are a nice place to start because you literally just have to sit or lie down and and listen. That's all. And they're free on your website. They are, yeah. Yeah, they're free. And there's a free 14 day introduction to meditation uh, on my Instagram at Dermot Today FM.
0: That's absolutely fantastic. Um, Dermot, it has been a pleasure.
2: Loved it. Sabina, thanks so much. And I really would encourage everyone to go and get your book because uh, (laughs) I I really enjoyed it. 100 Days for a Younger Brain. Um, There's a a lot of good, hard, solid scientific sense in there. And uh, I think that really cuts through at the moment.
0: Oh, thank you so much. That is very, very kind of you. Um, thank you so much, Dermot. Pleasure. Uh, I swear I did not pay Dermot to plug my book. But if you like the sound of my voice and the sound of the book, you can get the audio version on Audible. The book is, of course, also available in paperback and ebook from major bookstores online and offline. It is called A Hundred Days to a Younger Brain by yours truly, Sabina Brennan. Of course, my name is Sabina Brennan, and you've been listening to Super Brain, the podcast for everyone with a brain.